Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast with Rev Taylor and Darren Wall. Reviews, interviews, and conversation since 2021. Hello and welcome back once again to Keepers of the Flame, the heavy metal, classic metal podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Darren Wall. My co-host, Rev Taylor, with me as always. How you doing, brother? That's me. I'm doing all right. It's, uh, I've got this new thing going. It's, it's a Tuesday night again. Um, and I've got this new thing going where I'm not going to work on Wednesdays. So it's kind of like a little mini Friday night for me. So uh, I've got my Russian beer here. I've got some... Zhiguljevskovia, I think it's how you pronounce that, um, which is very tasty. So, yeah, I'm feeling good, ready to talk about uh, some heavy metal and talk about a really cool album that we got going this week. Yeah, I got I broke my rule of not drinking alcohol during the week for the podcast, so I'm going to enjoy one again from Holy Mountain, the Witherer, which is a Ooh. coconut porter, and it's real good. You know, I don't I'm not the biggest adjuncts in my beer guy, but this one's excellent. No surprise, Holy Mountain just kills it. Um, this, it's, it's subtle coconut. It doesn't quite taste like a bounty. Like a lot of times these coconut beers taste like a bounty bar in a glass. And sometimes I'm okay with that for like a few sips, but then it gets old. Yeah. Um, this one does not have a sweetness to it almost at all. Um, it finishes very dry and the coconut's very subtle. It still tastes like a porter. So <clears throat> this is another home run from Holy Mountain. So I'm pretty stoked and if I'm going to break my weekly no drinking policy for one beer, this is a good one to break it for. Nice. That sounds tasty. Plus the, uh, the label looks like a doom album cover. So. Oh, they always do, man. Like the Holy mountain is, uh, I mean, they named, uh, I, they haven't said it, but I assume they named the brewery after the sleep song, which is a great stone. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and they're always playing really badass music in that brewery when you go in there. So yeah, it's a cool spot. They have, they, they like there's some stuff that's named after metal songs like the, I had a Tomorrow's Dream IPA which is a classic Black Sabbath song the other day that just it's just one that comes to mind so they they are definitely some rockers that work there nice but yeah as you mentioned my man we have a pretty fun album this week we have the sophomore album from a band called Warrior Path who are from Greece so if you get a band called Warrior Path from Greece you could get a pretty good idea of what you're going to get on the record just by the name of the band and where they're from. But this is a pretty new band. Um, they were been around since 2019. This is their, as I said, sophomores. This is their second full-length album. No EPs, no demos or anything. Their first one was self-titled. And now this one, The Mad King. The Mad King came out on the 5th of March of 2021 um, on something called Symmetric Records, which I'm not familiar with. And this features a couple veterans. We got Daniel... Hyman from Lost Horizon, and uh, who's a great singer. Uh, oh, yeah. and we got Bob Katsianis. I'm sorry to all the Greek listeners. I fucked that up. I knew I was going to. But he's been backing up Gus G and Guitar and Firewind. So you know this guy could shred. Oh, how long has he been a part of Firewind? Uh, I think he's been a part of the band for quite a while, maybe since the inception. So I don't okay. know if this is like a side thing these guys do or – you know, maybe they did one and then we're like, well, we're stuck in this pandemic, so we might as well make another Warrior Path album. But I'm glad they did. I mean, this is a very, I wonder if this is like, I wonder, duh, 
And I still wonder if this is a concept album of sorts, maybe loosely. Yeah, I think we'll talk about that once we get into it, because I definitely, uh, it introduces itself like a concept album. And it never, in, in a, it never brings it back in a way that's really obvious to me, but there's a lot of hints in the, the lyrics and stuff that I was definitely kind of constructing a story mm-hmm. um, as I was listening to this. So, um, Yeah, if, if, you're, if you're not familiar with this album, this is, when you think of the words like true metal, this is dictionary <laughs> yeah. different definition of true metal. Elements of power metal, elements of like the old school, but in the end, this is like one of those true metal, classic metal albums. No frills, just, you know, very regal, very epic, very anthemic all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of class here. I think it's... Um you can kind of tell that there's veterans involved here. It just, it has an album that really like it unfolds with a level of patience that you would not expect from younger players. So I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that there's some real veterans here. I remember seeing Firewind actually once uh, kind of back when I didn't listen to a whole lot of traditional metal. Um, I saw them, uh, I must've been like 2012 or something like that. And they really blew me away. Um, and I hadn't seen a show like that in a long time with an old school heavy metal band like that. And I loved it. I know I've seen them before, but I, they opened for someone, but it's escaping me who, I mean, yeah. he was in Oz, Gus G was in Ozzy Osbourne's band for a minute. Right. So they might even no, they weren't on that tour. I'm not, I'm thinking of something else. I definitely have seen them though. Yeah, no, they're great. Um, so yeah, this is a, um, uh, it's a lot of fun. This album's a lot of fun. I mean, just look at the album cover. Um, we've got more than a little bit of homage being paid to Hollow the Mountain King by Love Sabotage. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, looks like a video, it looks like a fucking video game. You know, like. It does a bit, yeah. Um, but it's, it's I, I don't know, I love this cover art. I mean, it's cheesy. It's kind of intricate. It's got that, like, you know, comic book sort of style. Um, mm-hmm. We've got this, you know, weirdly ripped king sitting on his throne with his long white beard and his sword and his faithful dog and then we've got a uh, a jester and um a little druid over here and i know that's a druid because of the lyrics to the title track which we'll get yeah. into so it's a it's a um you kind of it's, it's one of those where you definitely know what you're getting into with the album title and the band name and everything uh but the good news is it doesn't disappoint you're, no. I mean, it's going to meet your expectations, I think, if not it's, exceed them. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a quite this is an exceptional album. Um, the production, I don't have any complaints about. I think it's the production gets an A plus from me. Um, everything sounds big, but it's not um, fake sounding. It's not too much. It's not too much. I don't think. Um, I wouldn't call it an overproduced, overpolished album. Um, you can tell. They definitely spent some time in the editing room and with multiple takes to make sure everything was on point. Um, there's no nothing dissonant, nothing out of time, out of key. It's pretty perfect. Yeah, it's very clear. I mean, I was definitely impressed with how well you can hear all the individual instruments throughout the album. Um, and that, for, to me, makes for a pretty pleasurable listening experience because you know, the third or fourth time you're listening to it, you can like pick a new instrument to follow. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I thought the drums were interesting. They really stood out to me. Um, and, and you probably know better than I do kind of what gives it that, um, I don't even know how to describe it. There's this, is it reverb on the drums? It's got what I would, yeah, it reminds did. me of like early dream theater, honestly, like the mic. It, it has it. reverb on it, but I don't, it doesn't sound super fake to me. Yeah. Um, it could be, I, I definitely don't think that they rented out a church and put the drums in there and got all natural reverb. Yeah. But I think the drums definitely got a good, good production when they were, when they were tracked. And then, yeah, they, they are doused in, in, in reverb. There's a lot of, there's a lot of cool, they're, they're very wet, um, very produced, but they sound huge. And I think that's to the benefit of the album overall, even if at times it's not the most natural sounding thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, I, don't, I don't think it really matters. I mean, if the drums were dry and subdued, I think these songs would probably not be as effective. This guy, uh, Dave Rundle, who plays drums, I can't find any other credits for him. He's the only, the, this album is the only thing on Encyclopedia Metallum for this guy. So, he's, but he's great. I mean, he's, it sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can dive into this a little bit. Um, the one weird thing that I, you know, we talked about this offline a bit, but the one weird thing that I did find is that every song on this album has an intro of some sort, except for, I think there's one that doesn't. Beast of Hate. The yeah. Beast of Hate is the only one that doesn't. Yeah. Um, but the rest of them either have like some timpani drums or an acoustic passage or some narration or a trumpet or something <laughs> to, to intro the song, which at times was cool. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, that's a sick way to start a song. And at times it was like, oh, can you shut up and just get to the song? Uh -huh. Yeah, it, it, it definitely like it's hard to build momentum when you're constantly having to like gear up for every single song to be an epic marathon, which is kind mm -hmm. of how it feels. Yeah. Uh, even, you know, we've, there's an intro song and then each song has an intro. So it's it, in, a, in a way it feels like the whole thing's not really fully up and running in some ways until you get to tracks, you know, three and four. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is, this is another interesting thing. Like, I mean, this, this is a very, capable instrumental intro as was the one we reviewed last week yeah and probably the one we reviewed the week before and we do it too in our band right it's just getting played out like the whole idea of like the little one minute in instrumental intro is that getting played out a bit oh uh, it can be although this is actually a almost three minute intro so they've got a lot of riffing and yeah. uh like it's it's it does stand alone. Um, I guess one thing that, that kind of bugs me sometimes, and even though we're guilty of it too, is in a very, like, I don't know, with, with modern technology, it kind of reduces everything to these tracks. And sometimes if you're shuffling things, or if you're, I don't know, libraries doing weird autoplay stuff, you might find a little orphaned intro that doesn't really connect to the thing it's supposed to connect to. Yeah. Um, and that's a little pet peeve of mine. But I think this this intro does have some meat on its bones. Like it's it starts off with some um, acoustic guitars and keyboards, but then the whole band kicks in and does <laughs> play some riffs. It does. I mean, it, oh, it's great as 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 it's, as itself is a it's a really cool intro. I'm just you know I'm I'm not certain it really goes into the next song super well, but it's there and it doesn't yeah. it doesn't wreck anything. So I'm not going to gripe too hard about it. Yeah. 
but again, it's just kind of there. And, you know, like I said, our band does it too. I'm just contemplating, you know, it seems like everyone's doing it now. Well, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's a good idea. I think if your opening track, you know, gets, I don't know if if your if your first track gets started kind of abruptly, then it might help to give a little bit of space for the listener to to get used to the idea and to kind of dial in their their volume or whatever they want to do. Sure. Um, in this case, though, I mean the the first proper track, the Mad King, the title track, also takes a little bit to get going. It does start off with some riffing, but it goes through a lot of it goes to a lot of places and really sets the scene before the song really kicks in. Yeah. So that so, means you've, you've got almost like five minutes of intro. Before yeah. So you it's really the, the intro to the intro, yeah. <laughs> but both, both aspects are cool. Uh, the Mad King, as you said, is track two. It's cool, cool move to make the title track the first actual full song with lyrics on the album, I think. Um, yeah. And I'm, I gotta say, I'm a big fan of this track. I really yeah. like, um, probably if I'm, you know, I'm probably going to keep this whole thing in my library, to be honest. But if I just kept one song from this album to represent it, it probably would be this one. Um, it's got a lot of cool... I, the intro for this, I think, is actually really neat, the way they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes through some interesting like clean guitar passages, and you get a few different riffs interspersed with some like uh, almost video game sounding, like uh, you know, feast medieval party music. Um, kind of setting the scene of this feast where the mad king is holding court yeah and then, it, then it describes this uh this druid storyteller who shows up and starts uh telling these tales uh and i think that's a great lyrically it's a great thing to do because uh like you said it, it feels a bit like a concept album and part of it is that this opening song sets up a framing device wherein you've got the old druid telling stories at the behest of the Mad King in the court. And that means that all of the rest of the songs might just be stories that this druid is telling. And I really yeah. like that idea. Yeah, it, it's, it, I, the, the lyrics kind of made me chuckle a few times too, which yeah, I yeah. think is I think it's intended to. I wasn't, definitely wasn't laughing at it, but you know, the, the lyrics, when the, some of the lyrics of, cause it literally is written as someone is telling a story. So it, it, it did actually make me chuckle a few times right. uh, in a good way. But yeah, this is, Overall, it's a pretty speedy ripping song once it like really kicks in. And uh, yeah, it's it's a good representation of the album. It's cool that they made the title track and it's cool that they started off with it. Yeah, yeah. If you listen to just one song off the album, if you if you only have a few minutes, if you only have five minutes to check out this album, I, I would say just reach right for the title track. This, there's, a few of the, there's a few of them I could recommend for that, but absolutely this would be one of them. Yep. Um, so the next one's one I really uh, enjoyed a lot. It's his wrath will fall, will fall, or should I say his wrath will fall? I really, I really enjoyed how he pronounced that word. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it, it much different than you know the Durbin album where the way he's pronouncing things was annoying me. This was actually like, I thought a really nice way, nice sounding way to pronounce that word in that passage. Yeah, um, it's it's one of the things you get with, um, you know, it, it's something that's cool about I think Scandinavian people is that they learn English really well, uh, but then they. Uh, still will phrase things and pronounce things a little differently it's kind of like its own little dialect almost at this point yeah but it's, it sounds nice like it, it, it's a nice sounding pronunciation yeah yeah i have no complaints about this vocalist whatsoever this guy no. this guy I, really knows what he's doing yeah i think honestly like and honestly like he really makes a lot of these songs um yeah like if i'm being real a lot of these riffs are pretty generic especially in this song like these riffs and 
his wrath will fall are yeah. pretty generic riffs, but he really saves it. And that's the thing. Like when you give, he's kind of the opposite of what we saw with some of the songs in our, in the album we reviewed last week, the Thorium one, where mm-hmm. the singer gets a blank canvas and doesn't deliver the goods here. The guy gets a blank canvas, so really kind of a standard heavy metal riff, a heavy metal song and really manages to elevate it. Um, I like the timpani drums at the start of this. I thought that was really yeah. cool. Um, the song is super, super grandiose. It's mid paced kind of the whole mid paced ish the whole way through. Um, it's got the classic like whoa, whoa, whoa part, you know, yeah. for the, for the sing-alongs. And here's, I like Mr. Falsetto crying about, crying about falsettos over here. I like this guy's falsettos. Yeah. Um, he's got great control of them. He puts a lot of power behind him. It doesn't sound like someone's shrieking. His falsetto backups were good because they're in key and they're not, and they're used sparingly. Uh, there's a fair few of them on the record, but they're in key and they, they're used very effectively throughout the record, especially on the song. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice. It's, it's very tasteful. Most of the time he's singing uh, in a, you know, fairly, I guess what for him would be a mid range metal tenor kind of, but then he, he gets up into the stratosphere a few times and he's got a, he's got a gear of falsetto that not a lot of people have. Yeah. And he doesn't, this is something he kind of brings out towards the end of the album. So we'll start seeing some of this stuff. Yeah. There's some insane shit towards the end. Yeah. Yeah, it's really tracks nine and ten. Suddenly, he he brings out this whole extra gear. Yeah, but it is hinted at here, you know. And yeah, there. and it's it's in the background and in the harmonies, and um, this one's fun. Just that the it's got the classic, nice and simple but effective metal chorus. It's really easy. I found myself singing along with this, mm-hmm. and making up harmonies to the chorus and stuff like that, which is really a, a way that I can tell that like my brain is kind of enjoying the music on its own when it just starts like harmonizing and kind of playing along mentally. So yeah, this is a fun, it's a fun track. seems mm-hmm. to be describing some sort of like uh, person or monster or some kind of like force that's arising that has to be faced. Uh, I don't know if it plays into the uh, next couple tracks, but it kind of seems like it actually could. At least I was able to stitch together a narrative of like, this is describing the threat that's going to come that we're going to face in the next song. Yeah. Um, the Beast of Hate. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting that the... Um, uh, so on Apple Music, which is usually, I guess, how you and I are both listening to this stuff, uh, they didn't have the full album on there. They had a four-song sampler. Um. And on that little four song sampler, His Wrath Will Fall is track one and The Mad King is track two. So that, that yeah. kind of tells me that the band thinks that maybe this His Wrath Will Fall really is the song they want to lead with and the song they kind of want people to hear first. It makes sense. It's pretty anthemic. Um, and Beast of Hate, I, I thought this was a cool one as well. He kind of changes his vocal register up a bit here. Yeah, It goes a bit lower. Um, not Not super low, but he definitely changes it all up again this is the song this is the only song on the record that doesn't have any kind of intro so, i think it's the only song that starts with the same groove that it ends on yeah exactly there's, there's no build up there's no intro um this is in like the mid mid fast pace tempo range and really it comes down to it this is this one pushes a little more into the power metal realm of things and it's very very classic in that regard yeah i, I got some iron maiden vibes from this one mm-hmm some of the riffing and 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 the singing too is just a little. I think that he goes down a little bit lower, like 
closer to where Dickinson lives. So that's maybe why it made me think of that. Also, yeah. the base the baseline in this is a little bit more heresy. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> bass player on this album is like it's, it's pretty. He's he's more than competent. He's a very very good player, and his um, this is an example of that clangy bass sound. Yeah, when it's done really well, um, it, it's it's still has some. It's got that attack and that trebly kind of clang going on, but it doesn't sound like uh, a fucking dump truck trying to start. You know, it's like, it definitely, and it doesn't sound like the Three Stooges. Like, right. <laughs> it, 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 it's less, it's not so springy. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's got some tone. It's got some mid-range punch. It's got some musicality to it. So I'm a big fan of the bass tone here. Apparently, uh, this is, it's also Bob Katsionis also playing bass. Well, there you go. Way to go, Bobby. You're the yep. man. Um, so that's, uh, well, good for him, man. He did, he did a great job. He did a great job. That's pretty commendable because he plays bass like a bass player on this album, not like a mm -hmm. guitar player playing bass. Not like when John Schaefer does it on Ice Street <laughs> Records and it's just like bass aping the guitar. Right. That's, that's cool. Um, I didn't, I didn't honestly look that up. Um, Mainly because, I don't know, it, it was weird to me that I, I, I didn't get the band camp thing like you did. I should have in hindsight. I listened to it on YouTube and I despise listening to music on YouTube. Um, but, you know, I guess it's not totally out yet, or at least not on iTunes for some reason. I couldn't find it on Spotify either. But regardless, I thought Base to Hate Rules. I think it's a great tune. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, it shows a little bit of diversity, especially from the vocalist and you know, it's it's nice. We've got three songs here. They're all slightly different, um, but they're they all really fit together. And like you said, I mean, I didn't really pay too much attention to the lyrics, but um, you said it, it, it looks like it might be weaving a little story together here. Yeah, the the this one's very much like classic heavy metal. Like you gotta face the beast. This is the moment you've been waiting for. You know, make your stand. Classic heavy metal stuff. Yeah. So go to the next one, which is uh, Don't Fear the Unknown. You get this uh, light, airy kind of acoustic intro that comes in. And then the band all hits this big old power chord. And then we enter the Dio realm, I think. Oh, yeah. This, yeah, there, this, this is very Dio. Oh, absolutely. It's got like a very Sacred Heart kind of feel with the keyboards and the, the main riff when it kicks in, um, which, I mean, I'm all about it, obviously. Mm, yeah, me too. Love that uh, song. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. To me, I, I heard a little bit more of We Rock than Sacred Heart. That was the song oh, yeah. it was really yeah. hearkening to me on. But yeah, it's it's straight out of the Dio playbook. And yeah, this this song kicks ass. This is one of my one of my highlights for sure. Yeah, same here. I mean it's it's the most epic song on the album. And it really like we've talked about how they like to do the intro thing and they like to build up um and they like to to do a lot of tempo switches and stuff. And this is a song that kind of it's appropriate that they do that, you know, yeah, especially exemplifies here. Yeah. Especially after a couple of more, a couple simpler songs, then we get the most epic song on the album. Um, yeah. I really, I really like this one a lot. This is definitely one of my favorites as well. Yeah. This is kind of where we're coming into like my couple favorite songs here. Like this one I thought was really good for its epicness. You know, like you said, it, it does lots of time. There's the deal thing. It's lots of, different changes lots of different dynamics which is great um the next one savage tribe savage tribe i like for a lot of different reasons um i think that one just rips <laughs> like it's uh the the trumpet thing is that a trumpet that starts it i can't remember it's like a some kind of horn thing it's a, starts yeah it's like i think it's supposed to sound like a, a war horn like a, a yeah you know, primi primitive you know uh 
you know, tribal, I guess, which makes sense with the title, but it kind of a, a you know, Horn of Gondor kind of sound. Yeah. And it, it kind of starts off again in that mid to that upper mid pace kind of range, but then it sure takes off after that. Yeah. So this, if, if, they're, if they're trying to evoke like a battle scene here, mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they absolutely are. The lyrics seem to be describing the, uh, you know, some sort of brutal tribe of warriors that's running over the countryside and causing problems and killing people and the whole nine yards. Yeah. Gather from it. So yeah, I was definitely a fan of this one too. Although it kind of went into a, uh, towards the end of the song, it it goes into kind of one of these blissed out kind of like (laughs) slower guitar mini kind of worlds, which I thought was a little odd for the, uh, lyrical content and considering how fast it was earlier in the song but it's awesome yeah. i mean it sounds great i'm not complaining it just yeah when you, you get an album with this many changes and, and twists and turns on it some of them are going to be a little strange you know, i yeah. guess i guess you know they're they're, they're not all going to be hits so i guess that's kind of to be expected um if you're trying to have that many different twists and turns on an album yeah all right so then we move into avenger another one i really liked um this is the one where they like, you know, it's like they've got a button on the dashboard that just is flashing red and says Manowar on it. Yeah, this, for sure. This is when they push the Manowar button. Yep, and this, so it's no surprise that I like it. I could do right. without the narration at the beginning, but I guess that's part. I, now that this we're talking, my, yeah. This is my father's sword. Yeah. Use it for good and not for bad. <laughs> for bad. Yeah. Not evil, for, not for bad. Don't right. use it for bad, which I guess means you could be evil with it, just don't do it poorly. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I don't know. I thought that was kind of cute, actually. Just... I did too. It made me, it made me smile. Um, but, you know, it, it has like that military march kind of feeling to it. Very yeah. like Man of War battle hymns kind of thing. So I, I'm into this. This is the first hit real hit that we get at him he had some mega high notes on this song too oh yeah like some serious like eric adams high notes on this one which again um goes back to that man of war reference we're talking about on this one but it uh but it kind of the nice thing it does is it does really pick up the pace near the end like not yeah it doesn't go doesn't fly out of the gates but it kind of like it does pick it does pick it up a little bit it does i was kind of hoping it would sooner i really love the way they bring it out of their narration because you've got these kind of like ambient rain sounds and the narrator saying i promise i will avenge you and then everything stops mm-hmm. and he, he just goes at all costs and then the riff kicks in but I, I maybe it's like we talked about earlier there's been a lot of mid-tempo stuff and the last mm-hmm. track got fast but then slowed down i really wanted there to i wanted it to really take off there but we kind of stayed in mid-tempo land yeah and that, that, that is the one issue that I found songwriting wise is that there is a lack of variety tempo wise. Yeah. Um, everything is kind of mid to mid upper paced on the record. Um, there's not really a fast burner. There's not really like, there's not really like a ballad. I wouldn't say. I mean, yeah, I think the, the last track the last, qualifies. The last song, last song vent, like, like dabbles in that. Um, there's not really a slow, slow, like, you know, do me thing or anything. It's yeah. it's all kind of in the same pace. Which yeah, like it did it, it that that song's really cool. I really liked this last song a lot more when I kind of listened to it the second time and I started it in the middle of the record. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it uh it's a it's a rad song, but yeah, there's a bit of fatigue going on here. Yeah. Um which leads me to the next one, which is Out of the Shadows. This is 
probably the song that I paid the least attention to on the album. I was really hoping this was going to be the fast one because it really starts off like that. You know, you're like, there's a build up. You're like, okay. I'm like, okay, here we go. We're going to be off to the races, especially like, you know, the more that we talk about this, the more I'm starting to see that this probably has a story behind it. You know, now that I'm going through these, but I I thought maybe this was going to be like the burner on the album, but we go back to like mid high pace again. Yeah. This one's six, eight. So it does stand out a little bit for using compound time, but uh, same for me. I was, I found this one the hardest to pay attention to. And it's not because it's not a good song. It's a lot of it's like where it sits in the album and where my ears were after listening to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it did a little bit better when I just dropped the needle on that song. But even then it didn't quite stand out as much as some of the others to me. But that's okay. I mean, there's going to be a least favorite on every record. Sure. And, you know, there's not any, like you said, there's not anything specifically like wrong with this tune at all. It's a good tune. It just, you know, at, at, at that point, at this point, I'm like, you know, I need something different. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, if, if this if this song was like a really, again, if it was just something faster or even slower, you know, I probably would have dug it a lot more at this point in the album. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't mean, apart from that, I don't much to say that. <laughs> the next one, however, that stood out pretty well. Oh, this, I love this song. The song is so fucking cool. It could be a Greyhawk song. Yeah. It really could, especially lyrically. The lyrics are very, like, uplifting and motivational and positive. Um, it's a super fun tune. And I think this is the best guitar solo on the album on this on this song. This yeah. guitar solo is absolutely fucking blistering. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, that's fucking nuts. This dude can – no wonder he plays in Firewind. Like, seriously, this guy is a crazy shredder. And this was his, I think, his best solo on the record. This song really, it brought a little bit of like a pop sensibility to it that I didn't expect. But it was refreshing because, like we said, like, I think I was ready for something a little different. And this one delivered by giving us that big kind of major key chorus. And, uh, you know, it's the kind of song where if this were actually an 80s album, I might be like, hmm, did the record label want them to, like, put a song like that on there but you know in 2021 we know they're just doing it for fun so well, but also <laughs> it, it does take a little twist at the end and it kind of like t- trails off into like a bit of an acoustic outro and yeah. the singer is like almost singing acapella at the end mm-hmm. so it, it, it does take a very non-poppy commercial twist towards the end and it kind of goes back to that kind of folky medieval vibe with that with that outro so this, this is a really rad song. It's super fun. And like I said, honestly, this sounds like the kind of thing that we might write. Yeah, <laughs> so I thought, I, thought that was, I thought that was really cool. Like, especially thematically and the name and everything. Like, this sounds like some shit that we would do. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm a fan of that one, too. I mean, there's, there's a lot of details in this that I know we're not going over. And that's, this, I think this is an album that's going to stick around in my collection for a bit because I know there's stuff I haven't discovered yet about it, even though I've listened mm-hmm. to it probably four or five times. Um, and I mean, that's always a good sign for me, especially as like, I like the little twists and turns. It's sometimes it, it's, it's a little bit of an impediment to momentum, but over the long haul, it'll be fun to listen to all this and catch those moments that, that I didn't catch before. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of shit here. There's a lot going on and it is, it is a lot to take in, in a week. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say I have the most detailed like 
notes of everything because I really fought listening to it on YouTube and I should have thought about the band camp thing when when you did but I didn't <laughs> I was like I really, really just pissed me off getting you know war of the clans ads every fucking song <laughs> I was just like oh god um so you know yeah so some of it um some of it was did did kind of pass me by a little bit that way but I got enough to know that I really did enjoy it um and this definitely was this song was a highlight as well and also like I mean if there's a, if there's a knock on this, is there's going to be the same knock on any record that we review probably on this podcast? It's going to be a distinguished lack of originality. So <laughs> you're yeah. you're not hearing like let's let's be real. You're not hearing anything even remotely new or fresh or anything on this album. If you buy this album, you expect to he- ha- have like you know some Dungeons and Dragons, you know swords and sorcery, you know high adventure classic heavy metal. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, don't expect the wheel reinvented. Don't expect any kind of real musical innovation, but expect a real good time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's done at a really high level of achievement. It's uh, despite the, yeah, certain lack of originality, maybe it's very on the nose, classic heavy metal kind of stuff. If you like classic heavy metal, you'll probably like this album. Mm-hmm. If you don't know if you like classic heavy metal, then you should listen to this album. And if you like it, you probably like classic heavy metal. You know? yeah. Well, we, um, before we uh, get too far to, down this way, we have one more song to talk about. We do. The Last is, Tale. Which is the last song on the album. Um, yeah. And so the title I, of which, by the way, it, I think does reinforce the idea there's a concept here because yeah. back in The Mad King, we established the druids telling us tales, the drunk druid <laughs> yeah. is telling us stories and this is the last tale. So... Um, I'm going to choose to believe that that was the way they envisioned it. Probably. I mean, I guess we'd have to wait. Maybe there'll be some interviews with the guys or something and we'll find out. Or maybe they'll do a show where we'll get a festival. We'll get to play with them. We can ask them ourselves. Right. <laughs> um, but this one has like, I got a, like a Crimson Glory vibe here um, on this one, which was yeah, kind of like, which, uh, you know, a, a little bit. It's very, it's a very epic. Um, it, like I said, it flirts with being a ballad. Um, it's a great way to end this record. Yeah, I was like, I was like, nice job, guys. That's that ties everything together really nicely. Yeah, it's one of these that it starts out pretty much as a ballad and then picks up the pace at the end uh, and carries us home on a on a you know fast and heavy note. So it's a lot of fun. It's 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 one of these like man of war style battles where it's like or ballads. That was a Freudian slip though because it is exactly like before the battle. You know, the warrior is saying. This is what I must do, and I'm going to sing about it with great feeling. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, it's like I said, it's again, it's not much to talk about. It's like it's if you've heard a song like this, you've heard a song like this before. But it's, yeah. Uh, you know, again, not enough. It's but it kicks ass, and it, it is a great way to like ride out into the sunset on this on this album. So there's some extreme yeah. high notes in this. Oh though. yeah, we had to talk about that too. Like holy shit! Like the last note on the album that this guy sings is a. Uh, it's a B below soprano high C. That's a very high note for a man to hit that well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, that definitely raised my eyebrows. And I, I wonder if that's something he would be able to do regularly live or not. Um, it, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Well, you can look up some uh, Lost Horizon footage and see him singing. And, you yeah. know, you can maybe, maybe he does. I don't know too much about Lost Horizon. I don't either. Casual listener at best, so... 
I've never seen them live, but we can always check it out. I don't know if Warrior Path has ever done any shows. I have no clue. I don't know, yeah. Or if this is just kind of a studio project that these guys, these cats do. Um, but I'm definitely in- interested to check out their first record now, too. Because um, why the hell not? I don't, you know, that's... It's I don't know where to find it, but... I've come across it on YouTube before because it's one of those uh, that has acquired a bunch of views and just kind of tends to show up in recommended videos. Like when I'm watching stuff on the uh, new wave of traditional heavy metal channel or something, it'll sometimes pop up over there on the right-hand side, like Warrior Path. And I've come across it before. It's also good, but I think it's got a different singer. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think that like... So I, I, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be because I'm not an expert in the story here, but this is like this dude's kind of comeback. I don't know that he's been doing too much with his other band, Lost Horizon, or not. But I think this is kind of him returning to the, the visibility in the heavy metal scene. Yeah, the... Um, let's see. Yeah, I just looked up Lost Horizon, and the last album they released in... Uh, the last album Lost Horizon released was in 2003. Okay, so that is a long-ass time ago. Now, I don't know if this dude has done anything since then. Um, <laughs> it's fucking but... album cover. <laughs> I don't know if I can... I, I probably can't properly show this over the, uh, over the screen on or my the phone. Scope. Yeah, it's just got... Um, we needed the video scope, yeah. It's just like some classic early 2000s stuff. You've got the band members like standing in some like... Oh, weird... yeah. They're kind of knee deep in some sort of tornado in space kind of thing, and it's oh, it's classic, nice. classic two thousand three power metal stuff. Love it. <laughs> All right, well, I'll have to check that. Out. Well, now I'll have to go listen to some Lost Horizon because I do yeah. like this guy singing. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he did anything since then or whatever. But they, they I, I think I, I remember hearing some stuff that this is kind of his like comeback, which is if he hasn't been around doing anything since two thousand three, like. Good for him, dude, because he sounds great. Been taking yeah, care of his voice. Yeah, maybe he's just, you know, one of these guys who's been like an insurance adjuster or something forever long. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, sometimes guys like come off the road, have a kid, you know, it would take about that long to raise a kid and have the kid get the hell out of your house. Yeah. True. So, you know, that that, that could have been what happened. I mean, that happened with Mike Howe from Metal Church. I mean, he just kind of vanished from the heavy metal scene in the late 80s and then he resurfaced in 2016 with metal church and you know that was his big comeback i mean that's an even longer amount of time so um you know sometimes that happens like guys get you know some families stuff on the go or a career on the go because lord knows this shit doesn't pay us anything so maybe they and then they do that for a while and you know then they come back when they're when they're ready and for whatever reason i'm glad he decided to take this project on because it was definitely was a good soundtrack to the week oh yeah well, I, I kind of hope it takes off. You know, I think people can't fail to notice. It's pretty damn good. And it just like, just sound quality and uh, performance quality alone is going to bring a lot of people uh, to listen to that, I think. And, and it could be one of those things now that they've got their lineup dialed in, maybe their next album might start to be a little bit more of their own sound. Yeah, perhaps. And I mean, like right now is fantasy metal's moment in the sun. Like, yeah, it's never really been stronger in the in, in the last while. But I don't know, like people have been talking about that. Like, oh, I, I've read a couple of statuses on the Internet of people talking about how fantasy metal is like 
oh, how come all these bands are singing about like the Dungeons and Dragons shit? I'm like, what, dude, where have you been? Like since the eighties. Yeah. And people have been doing that since forever. You know, like granted is maybe, I don't even know. I don't even know if there's more of this. I've been listening to this kind of shit like forever. I mean, I was listening yeah. to Wizard and Falconer and um, Skyclad and, you know, Majesty and Storm Warrior and Valdemar and um, Paragon. And I could go on and on and on about all these bands that like saying about this kind of stuff in the 2000s. There's dozens of them. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's not that it's just all of a sudden an influx of it. I mean, there's a lot of bands I think are aping the Eternal Champion kind of Conan mold, but yeah, you know, when one band has some has some measure of success with a style of music and an imagery that honestly most musicians can achieve, can aspire to achieve. It's not like the playing on that album is extra virtuosic or anything. Um, you're going to get people to try to imitate it. That's okay. That's a, that's a form of flattery to eternal champion. Sure. Um, well, I mean, I think th- there's nothing wrong with using any particular set of imagery um, or setting for your, your lyrics and your storytelling. It's just a question of, is it resonant? Is it good storytelling? Yeah, is it good? Interesting. And, and, yeah, exactly. But the fact is, it's not like all of a sudden we got all these fantasy bands. They've been around forever. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's 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 just, it's weird. But I guess that's just me being old. <laughs> I mean, I've been I, around long enough to remember. I agree. And I think that stuff's around for a reason. I mean, part sure. of the reason I, I like it. to... Yeah. And I like to write songs in that paradigm just because... I feel like, uh, I don't know, a lot of those images are kind of, they go deeper in the psyche. Like if I'm singing about my, my Subaru Outback, I don't know that that's going to like be something that like goes deep into people's minds. But like if I'm yeah. singing about, you know, kings and swords and wizards and quests, then that's going to be something that a lot of people are going to find resonant well, you're, part you're, of our mythology. To, to me, like, you know, you're... It seems like, I mean, I, I know a, a, a bunch of your lyrics also might sound like they're a bit fantasy, but they're, or sci-fi, but they're actually about something else. It's, and it's told like through the eyes of, you know, it's used, you kind of use like the literary device of like a, a kind of a fantastical setting to tell a story of like something that might be in your actual life or yeah. a concept or a philosophy that you're into. So yeah, there's definitely different ways to do it. And um, I don't know, like, do we want political bands right now? Because I'm kind of sick of politics, dude. <laughs> Just like, don't know that I want to hear it about it from anybody with a guitar at the moment. I, mean, I know it's super prevalent, but fuck, it's not like we don't get enough daily doses of bullshit. Yeah, well, I think there's certain certain genres of music that are more kind of... I don't know, more yeah, like inclined when, towards that. When is power metal? I mean, I guess we're kind of like skipping ahead into our topic, so I'll save some of this for later. <laughs> but coming back full circle, uh, Warrior Path, hell yeah. Thumbs up, full recommendation from this guy over here. Yep, same here. Absolutely, give it a listen. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a very good chance you will enjoy The Mad King by Warrior Path. Agreed. Okay, so I guess we're going to move on into our picks of the week. Um, and my pick of the week was probably my favorite record in 2018. And that is from some of my homeboys from my homeland. That is Stryker, their latest album, Play to Win, which I think 
is probably their best effort to date. Um, a lot of people, some people would disagree with me. That's okay. You're allowed to be wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this, this record is great. Um, they, I think, you know, since Striker started out, they were very much a speed metal band, like, you know, full speed or no speed was like one of their, was their first kind of big song. And, you know, as any band, you, you, you grow up a little bit, you know, you, you mature a little bit, you want to do some different shit. And um, they did, they added a lot more melody to their music. They added some pop sensibilities. Um, I think they changed singers at one point. Um, I don't know. Yeah, they did. Um, and, you know, they started being like a little more musical about it, you know, trying to add some melody, some groove. Um, and the one thing I really liked on this album was that they brought a lot of Queensryche kind of influence to it. Mm -hmm. They really emphasized the vocal harmonies that they do, which is the, one of the strongest points of this band um, is they really can craft a really catchy harmony in a chorus. Um, the lyrics are really cool. Um, a lot of them are kind of just about like strength and determination and, you know, um, basically like just being true to yourself which is very prevalent if you've been doing that. These guys are like, you know, these guys were a traditional heavy metal band before the new wave of traditional heavy metal was even thought of the moniker. These guys have been doing this since the 2000s and they've been spent countless hours on the road. They've, you know, they've busted their fucking butts. So this one, this, this album's from 2018. Um, it was out on, what's this thing? Record breaking records. Don't know what that is, but this one actually, I don't know if you can see this, but this one is has some funding from the Canadian government. You know, something says this right. factor Canada on that foundation of the arts. Mm -hmm. So Canada does have some grants that they give out to uh, bands. Uh, I don't know exactly what the criteria is to hit that. I never was able to do it. I don't think I even really tried, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so they, they, they got some money to make some albums and tour and they went and they did it and they executed it. And it's uh it's a triumphant album. Um, I've, we played with them in 2019, I think. In July, the, I think. Of yeah, 2019. Yeah. At the fun house. Right, that was a yeah. really cool show. Um, my old band played with these guys, uh, in Canada a lot. And there's a pretty fun story from a show we did with them in 2010. Um, it was at the red room in Vancouver and we were both, both our bands were on the bill. We were opening for Raven. And um, basically, like, with Raven had a big dressing room and whatnot, and we had a tiny room to, like, you know, stand in, basically, <laughs> for all the opening bands. And they gave us, I think, you know, three flats of beer, which between my band and Striker, we went through in about 10 minutes. So Raven's, like, going on stage. And I'm like, fuck, man. I think their drummer, Adam, said, man, he's like, man, dude, I wish we had some more beer especially since like those guys are like using my kid or whatever, man, I wish we had some more beer. Like, I hope that guy's break my kid and this and that and the other thing. And I was like, you know, I was in Raven's restroom earlier and there's a lot of beer in that motherfucker. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, well, let's just go look at it. Like, All right. <laughs> so we go in the back and there's me and the drummer, Adam, and I think their guitar player was there. And we're all standing around this uh, giant, giant fucking bin of ice full of beer. And I say, you know, if we all just take one, they're not going to notice. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. So we just take one, we drink it. 
you know, if we each only take two, they're not going to, they're probably not going to notice. And I was like, okay, this is like verbatim. I'm not, I'm not like, this is a bit of what was happening. We were just drinking and then we finish it. I go, okay, if we each take three, they're probably going to notice, but they probably won't be too mad about it because there's a lot in here. We drink another one. You know, fuck them. <laughs> we drank all their fucking beer. All of it. And so Raven, poor guys in Raven come backstage. Like, what's all up here? And we're like, I don't know. <laughs> Some of the Like, we clearly like drank all drank their whole dressing room dry. And they but they were so good good humored about it. They didn't give a shit. I don't think those guys barely drink anymore anyway. So <laughs> they really they hundred percent like didn't give a fuck and they just thought it was fun. So they had a great time with those guys but that was and then i saw they, i ran to them again um at like in 2018 or something probably um or maybe early 2019 when they came through town with unleash the archers yeah i saw that show that was the first time i saw striker yeah and then after the show like their drummer abs looking at me he goes i know you and i'm like yeah you do and he's like from where? And I was like, Raven, 2010, Vancouver. Oh, fuck. We drank all their beer. I'm like, yeah, you guys got a dressing room back there with beer in it? And like, and I'm like, no, nah, it's El Corazon. Of course you don't. <laughs> so, oh, just a fun uh, fun road story. But uh, yeah, Striker, play to win. Get that record, man. Get these guys, get all their albums. All their albums are good. This is one of the best bands going on the fucking traditional metal circuit these days for young bands. And they're criminally underappreciated. And they are just awesome. So go out and get their records now. Striker from Edmonton, Alberta. What do you got, brother? Hell yeah. I, I, I'm just going to – I'm going to second that. Just say Canadians, that is some tax money well spent. I wish we had yep. something like that in America. But, you know, I would give my taxes to Striker. Those guys kick ass. And really, really impressive vocal harmonies. Really impressive how well they pull off the vocal harmonies live. Um, that album's great. There's nothing quite like it. It's got, like – this cool kind of polish and pop sensibility that makes it feel very modern, but at the same time, it's grounded in traditional heavy metal and just, yeah, that shit kicks ass. So good choice. Thanks, man. So I've got something that's, you know, I've, I don't have as much uh, cool recent stuff in my, uh, in my collection. So I'm going to pull out another well-loved classic that probably a lot of our... Nothing, nothing wrong with well-loved classics, man. Yep. So here we have... Them by King Diamond. Hell yeah. I guess the third King Diamond album. Um, and this was kind of the first King Diamond album that I got really into. Um, I remember the first time I saw King Diamond, I maybe even talked about this on the podcast before. I was like 15 and I went to see some death metal bands that were opening for King Diamond in like 2004 something like that. And um, I had never heard of King Diamond. And um, I, I wanted to see Nile, the like, ancient Egyptian death metal band. Hey, fuck, they're um, awesome too, man. Dude, I love Nile, but I was, th they got sick that night and couldn't play. So I was kind of bummed oh, out shit. already. I was like, I guess I'll just stick around for this King Diamond stuff, whatever it is. And I'll stick around for these young up and comers. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, they took like a solid hour setting up the stage, putting all the like mm -hmm. cast iron fences and caskets and crypts and stuff up there on the stage. And then, you know, when, 
they I think they played I, that set that night, I know they heavily featured Abigail. Yeah. So I think they played the first track from that album and you know, here comes King with his you know, bone cross mic stand just shrieking at the top of his lungs and I was like, what the fuck am I it, watching? No, it, it truly <laughs> it truly is one of those things that when you first see it for the most part, you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, the first, I'll say the first time I saw King Diamond was on Beavis and Butthead. And yeah. Beavis and Butthead were just laughing at him. They were like, I think Beavis goes like, yeah, but it's like, oh, you, yeah, but, but this guy has like, you know, kids. And he's like, tells his kids, sorry, kids, daddy's got to put on his makeup and go to another show. And Beavis is like, yeah, that's too bad, really. <laughs> You know, I, I wish I could tell you that, like, at that age when I saw King Diamond, I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm like a convert now. But I think my the prevailing thing was like, well, well, that was fucking weird. Yeah. But Let's... looking back now, I'm really glad I, I, I got to experience it, of course. Um, so, you know, 10 years later or so, um, it's my birthday. And my wife is, I guess, uh, at a record store, wants to get me a gift. And so she pulls up, this is good thinking on her part. She pulls up a list of an interview with Michael Ockerfeld from Opeth and a list of his favorite albums. Mm-hmm. And then she finds one that she knows I don't have and buys it. And it's mm-hmm. this one. Nice. Um, so excellent gift. And uh, yeah, I remember putting this on for the first time. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember King Diamond. And, and I think I'd listened to some Merciful Fate at that point too um, and dug it. You know, I've listened to, to Don't Break the Oath. Um, and I put this on and I was thinking, all right, like we're going to get some songs about, you know, demonic stuff and whatever. I have to say, I was a little bit taken aback by how actually weird and fucking creepy the story of this album is. Yeah, it, <laughs> it is. is legitimately a, a bizarre and weird tale that he tells. Yeah. And it's made even like, and it kind of stands out, I think, from his other albums. Um, I mean, I guess, except Conspiracy, which is a sequel to this one, um, but where he's a, a character in it, but like mm-hmm. a child, he's like describing it like something that happened to him when he was a kid. So like the other characters are calling him King. And of course, I'm imagining like this little nine-year-old kid, like running around in King Diamond makeup. <laughs> and it just like <laughs> yeah. makes it even more just surreal and fucked up. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I love this album. It's, it's really, really weird. It's really fun. Um, the band is just on fire. It's just oh. great performances all around. This is like that's an incredible band he has too. Like absolutely incredible band. Yeah, I mean Andy LaRock's on this. Uh, Mickey D plays drums on this one. This, um, that's the classic, man. That's the classic lineup. It just it's so good. You know, I didn't know until just today when I was like doing a little bit of research on this. I didn't realize that Andy LaRock is on um, Individual Thought Patterns, the Death album. I did yeah. not realize that. That's one of the death albums I don't know as well, so I'm going to dig into that. Um, but yeah, this has got some great songs on it. It's got Welcome Home, which is probably the uh, most immediately recognizable King Diamond song for most people. Yep. Grandma! Yep, that's the classic. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's got T on it, which is a great tune. That's probably my favorite tr- track on this album. Um, Twilight Symphony is a great uh, you know, ending track. Um, yeah, this is a great place to start with King Diamond. I think any of the first five albums are good, and probably you can start with any of them. This one doesn't, production-wise, it's not quite as strong as um, some of the others. I think Conspiracy, um, 
doesn't quite have the same energy to it story-wise or material-wise, but it does sound a little better. But this one's got um, a lot of great songwriting and it just, it just keeps being interesting. Like the, the riffs are interesting. The guitar solos are smoking. Um, I knew of King Diamond, of course, having seen him and knew it was a bit of like a novelty thing, but I, I was pleasantly surprised, I'll say, uh, when I first heard this, just how tight and, uh, and just masterful the performances are from everybody. Um, and, and obviously as a vocalist, it's really kind of inspiring to hear all the weird shit that King Diamond does. Yeah. All the like harmonizing his, his own falsettos and the way he like shifts between the, the falsetto and kind of the more raspy voice and his lower voice and, you know, all of those shifts kind of serve a purpose in the story. Um, so yeah, if you haven't heard King Diamond for some weird reason and you're listening to this podcast, now's the time and you could definitely do worse than, uh, than them and uh this is the only picture disc i have in my collection by the way it's sort of an, always seems like an odd choice it's cool i mean i like looking at it but then when it's playing i can't look at it yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true it is it is an interesting uh choice of packaging i don't know they look they, they are cool though i like them i mean yeah. some people are like some so some vinyl purists are like it's got to be 180 gram black vinyl or if you're a dj i get that yeah, you know, if you're if you're a DJ and you're trying to spin records, you want it to you need that thing to be reliable and not skip. You want it to sound as good as possible. But for me, I'm just yeah. I just collect records, whatever. I um, think it's cool. I like again, I like looking at it. Although I kind of wish it also had the cover and like the lyric sheets because I like you know setting my vinyl up on the now playing slot so anyone who walks in can see this is what you're listening to. Yeah, I like looking at the cover, I like looking through the lyrics and liner notes and stuff. So. In that sense, this is a bit sparse, but um, but I mean, it's great, beautiful cover art. It's classic, you know. Hey, man, the, the, the tunes are on it. That's what matters. Yep. All right. So I guess we kind of hinted at our topic earlier, which we'll kind of get into. Um, this was inspired kind of by that, um, what's that fucking guy's name? <laughs> uh, Little Nas X, I think. Yeah, well, he's, Little... he's, he's, all, he's all the topic on social media everyone's um super shocked and i guess some people are appalled by his uh music video where like the devil's like fucking him in the butt and like you know he has got some shoe made out of blood or something <laughs> yeah I, I, mean, I, 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 I thought it was hilarious myself but yeah i mean i, I thought it was pretty funny and and uh you know actually kind of interesting if you want to read deeper into it i mean it's i only watched the video once mm. the music didn't really do a whole lot for me but the the imagery was really interesting like it's got um you know it's got him kind of in this garden of eden space and then there's kind of a serpent person who's like seducing him and then he goes to this like ancient greek world and then he goes on this like giant stripper pole down the hill down to hell i mean where he uh then gives satan a lap dance and then kills satan and steals his horns at the end yeah um, and it's all very uh I mean, I guess Lil Nas X is queer, so it, it's very openly gay, and I'm sure that's part of what's freaking people out. Um, but yeah, like you say, I, th I thought it was just a cool pop music video, you know? Which is just like, I, you know, yeah, and, and you know, I, I guess for me, maybe I just, just the people I surround myself with, I didn't, man, maybe I'm just desensitized. I didn't find it shocking at all. Like, I was not offended, shocked, or anything. I thought it was, I've seen way worse shit than that. 
Yeah, of course. <laughs> you want to say worse, I guess that's not the right, really the right term to use. I've seen more shocking stuff than that before. And I guess maybe the fact that, you know, homosexuality doesn't bother me in the least um, does make, makes it not shocking for me too. Um, but that, that aside, I think, you know, that's, it's inspired by that and everyone's talking about that. So I guess what we're going to talk about kind of is like the, the shock value or possible lack thereof in um, heavy metal. And, you know, heavy, heavy metal is a uh, 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 genre that has used, people have used that as like a, either a marketing tactic or a way to make a statement or just a way to set themselves apart in the past. You know, it, we had, you know, bands singing about Satan in the 60s and 70s, you know, or so, and you had guys like, you know, Alice Cooper came along and he was doing his his thing and shocking people. And then, you know, you guess you got to count Marilyn Manson in there and, um, you know, Venom, you know, Venom was like, you know, and, and even, even bands like back in the nineties, like Pantera had, uh, was touring and they had like people come Bible thumpers coming and knocking down their hotel room doors and telling them that they were going to, you know, shoot them or whatever, or, you know, God was going to come down and kill them or whatever, you know, for spreading blasphemy or whatnot and, you know so there's lots of examples of this through the history of having right but it, now it seems like we may be in danger danger i don't know we may be it, it may be becoming kind of a nostalgia thing for heavy metal and i guess to like bring it back to this music video that everyone's talking about i think something that we've both seen is a whole lot of metal heads kind of not being offended by it but being like well but since we're heavy metal, we're the truly shocking ones. Yeah. You know? I mean, but I'm are we though? Like, right. I, I don't know about that. I mean, to me, like hip hop and rap has always been edgier than uh metal has been for the most part. I mean, fuck, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when like gangster rap hit and NWA came out and, you know, they're singing about killing cops and, and, you know, Ice, Ice T was doing that too. But that wasn't a metal band, but you know, it was very much hip hop imagery. And stuff so they've been do they've been making their statement you know doing that 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 stuff was much very that stuff was very real though you know they were talking about some real shit that was going on in la at the time uh it had been going on for many years and probably still is going on i don't know i don't live there but i'm sure it is um so i guess that's true i mean our genre heavy metal has definitely lost i guess i guess its place in, in the edginess of the world because yeah there definitely isn't a manson or alice or even ozzy osbourne you know when he was biting the heads off of doves or whatever he was doing back in the days and taking a right. dump on stage or motley crew you know those guys were out of pretty out of hand and they were just doing all kinds of crazy shit um but i wonder if that's just like i wonder if that's it, it could be a combination of things it could be like you know one what's left to do um, that hasn't been done as far as shocking people. I mean, there's still bands singing about Satan and all that stuff. There's still, you know, the whole entire subgenre is dedicated to that. Um, you know, most, I think a lot of the traditional black metal bands are still doing that. Sure. Um, so is that possibly the times are a little bit different? Um, you know, a lot of heavy metal, I think, shockingness was 
derived from like you know debauchery and depravity and you know I don't know that we live in a society where that's as celebrated as it used to be now it's kind of like looked at as a problem yeah. <laughs> you know if you like if you're the guy like you know people don't go oh man that fucking rock star party so hard it's like look at that alcoholic yeah look like, at that guy with the drug addiction that guy needs you know? some therapy man yeah that guy needs some therapy that dude he has he's clearly like taking out his ptsd on something because he's like you know very self-destructive so it, it's possible that it's that that's that factors into it um so I, I, again i i think i might just be desensitized because i don't find little nas video shocking in the least i think, just think it's fucking funny um but i mean what would what would it take i wonder in 2021 for a metal band to come out and be shocking and not like in an overtly gross way. Like sure. You could have like some douchebag, like Phil and Sam will walk out, throw up a white power salute. Never want to kiss, but like that's stupid. And that's not the kind of like shocking we're talking about. Like what would like actually make people be like, what the fuck? They actually did that. I yeah, I mean, it's it, it seems unlikely that like some porno grind band is going to be the next top forty sensation. You no, because it's just ass. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, it, it seems like that's not going to be. Or even like within the world of heavy metal, like you know what? Yeah, and look at grindcore. Good God! Like I remember, there's a there's a band from, and, I, and I, if they're listening, Jesse, I promise I won't call your band porno grind because I know you're not. Uh, there, he hates that term, you know, and. and <laughs> And, and and honestly, like he should, because a lot of that pornogram shit's pretty fucking problematic. Yeah. But um, they made an album, and it's so funny. It's called so it's an album. It's the band is called Zuckus, which if you're a real Star Wars nerd, you'll get that reference. But um, they combine their grindcore band, and they sampled porno music, but no porno movies and Star Wars samples and put it over their music so they're like you'll hear like it sounds like yoda or chewbacca or like tag team some girl or something and it's 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 the album's called tit fuck by tauntauns and it is the second album i think was called rancor rim job or something and, and it is really fucking funny like it, it is really fucking funny but like and yeah it's it's completely out there it's fucked up it's ludicrous it's it's nasty but like Again, like, where would we go? From, where do we go from there? I mean, I guess there's certain, and maybe, although maybe, I don't know, like, the, it seems like certain parts of the world and certain people are getting a lot more conservative. You know, offending people like that is like shooting fish in a barrel. Sure. Well, and of course, there are parts of the world where, you know, being into heavy metal is not considered a safe thing at all. Um, and I don't, I'm not really up to date with some of that stuff, but I've, as far as I understand, there's certain places in the Middle East where that is seriously True. frowned upon. And well, anybody from uh, anybody from uh, Behemoth being charged with blasphemy or something right now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he. Yeah, I mean, he he was kind of, I, as far as I can tell, like getting the result he's going for with that. Like he's trying to bring attention to the mm -hmm. fact that these laws exist and you can be persecuted, prosecuted for uh, blasphemy by, you know, I think he's intentionally being blasphemous to kind of draw that onto himself but yeah he's making a point that that's still still a thing you can still be uh thrown in jail for offending religious sensibilities in poland 
and religious sensibilities in Poland means Catholic. Right. I don't, I, I think probably some sort of anti-Muslim thing probably wouldn't get you thrown in jail in Poland. There you go. I, yeah. I, I, probably not. <laughs> Same thing with probably certain parts of America too, to be honest. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what a band, at least speaking for myself, which is the only person I can speak for. I can't speak for, you know, Billy Bob and Maggie Sue that live in fucking, you know, Podunk, Arkansas, who go to church every day and, you know, suppress their sexual urges so they're married and then they're extra fucked up. I can't speak for them. So just for me, I'm trying to figure out what a band could do that would actually shock me and make me go, whoa, what the fuck are they doing? In a good way. Right. It would almost have to be something like really upsetting and... and Yeah, I don't want that. (laughs) Right, exactly. I don't need like all those. I know all those bands that I know all those like white power bands exist because I've YouTubed them and laughed at them. Right. They're, they're terrible and they're fucking hilarious. Like I'm not going to like give them any airtime or whatever, but you know, that shit is funny. And some of like the right wing stuff though, they one day out of, have I ever played for you the days of Reagan rule? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> So if you don't know out there, this is the one band I will give some time to because <laughs> they don't have any like overtly racist stuff in this song. But if you want to laugh really hard at a, at a bunch of dorks, um, I don't remember the name of the band. They're like Madison something, Madison Rising or some bullshit like that. <laughs> and they wrote a song about how much they love Ronald Reagan called In the Days When Reagan Rules. And the the chorus is something like he took a bullet and he still came back. And they sing <laughs> it with such gusto that you know they mean every word. And it, it is absolutely hysterical. It is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. So if you're like me and you like to laugh at idiots on YouTube, I just gifted you something. So I, I know bands like that exist. They, they just like make me laugh more than anything because it's funny. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to think of what they could do. And I, and I guess for me, I don't know. I'm kind of like happy that bands are focusing more on just like writing good, making good art and making good albums and telling good stories rather than just trying to do the next thing that's going to shock me, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that because honestly, I've never, like, I've never been into heavy metal the transgressive stuff really I, i'm not into shock value for its own sake i just like the music i like the intensity i like Same. the emotion i like the community you know yeah i and yeah and i like um you know i like alice cooper i've never found alice cooper shocking or offensive or anything i also wasn't a churchy in the 70s so that probably explains that but i've never given a shit about that aspect of it i just think he writes makes some cool songs like like only women bleed is an amazing song you know that's a crazy good song um same with venom i mean venom is like sure they got like the whole like evil evil satan satan thing but one it's so cartoony and funny and the the songs are just super fun i mean they could barely play their instruments but fuck is it ever (laughs) rad um so yeah i mean i like a lot of bands like that um never was into marilyn manson honestly i think that just it just that never resonated with me. Um, He's just a fucking terrible singer. I just can't that. listen to him like croak and groan and about like doing terrible shit. I just, I fucking hate that 
guy and always have. Yeah, I'm with really, you. I mean, I was always a lot of my friends were into them when I was in grade twelve, and I was just always like, that ah, band, that guy sucks. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. He he never did it for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I guess I've never really been into like I don't care that heavy metal is a shocking anymore. I guess um, hasn't been for some time. You know, I don't think we've had anybody in the genre come out that wasn't a complete you know, do anything shocking that wasn't a complete loser about it. And I mean, I think some of it's that heavy metal now has become, it's become of such an independent subculture um, that people are like, oh, well, of course they did that. It's heavy metal. Um, Yeah, yeah. Of course this happens. They're a metal band. It's it's what it is. Whereas, you know, now that the things that are causing like the shock and horror among the Fox news pundits are pop videos, mm-hmm. you know, are the things that are getting big radio play and are like really popular and reaching millions of listeners in a way that metal doesn't really. Well, and I guess like, yeah. And it's like, I, we have Guar, like where the hell do you go from Guar? <laughs> yeah. You know, what's the next level of that? Like actually murdering people on stage? Right. You know, like, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like it is the pop music that is kind of like, I think if that, that video was done in a heavy metal sense, you're right. I don't think it would have had the same effect. Um, I mean, I, unfortunately, I do think that the gay stuff would probably cause some oh, weird reactions with metalheads. Of course it would. And, I mean, any, yeah. I wish that weren't the case, but I mean, I feel like there'd be a lot of like weird macho posturing from from metalheads about that there's no there's no question there would be and like you know look there's all there's been this myth perpetuated by a lot of like i think a lot of it comes from maybe some documentaries that were released in the 2000s or you know the fact that you know heavy metal is portrayed as this worldly music which it is you know um i'm not trying to put it down here or anything like that or put the scene down but if you think there's no like racist ass homophobic motherfuckers in the scene i don't know what scene you're hanging on um, yeah like unfortunately is it's the truth and yeah like it's just maybe one day we won't have that going on but it's not today um so yeah i think there would be that and that's probably the whole reason for this whole thing if i if, I, if we're just being truth true about it it's the same reason like every, everyone hated that lap song where it's like this girl singing about their fucking vaginas, you know? Right. And like, that's, that's just the reality of it is if maybe if it was a metal band where girls were singing about their vaginas, the guys get mad too. Um, I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool, yeah. <laughs> but, but whatever. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I, I always wonder, maybe I'm like just refusing to, I don't know if grow up's the right word, but I'm just refusing to get old and crusty because it just seems like a lot of my friends are getting old and crusty. I think getting old and crusty is best avoided. You know, a lot of old... <laughs> it, doesn't, get, it doesn't sound appealing, does it? <laughs> no, I think a lot, it doesn't seem like it would be fun to just like be getting upset about other people living their lives and making the music they want to make. That seems like that would be... I don't know. Those people who get upset about that don't seem happy to me. They're not. I mean, they, they clearly don't have anything better to do. I mean, if this... if he, I, Like I said, I watched that little Nas video and... I don't know. Like I said, I thought it was funny. I thought it was fun. I thought it was cool for what it is. I mean, I'm not going to like go download that song and listen to it. Um, but nothing in it that bothered me. 
You know, no. I, I don't care. Like, I, maybe I'm just like been around, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't know why people give a shit. I just, it just, it, it blows my mind, you know, that, that why people still in this day and age care what the fuck other people do in their privacy of their own lives, whether it's in public or in their own home. Like, I don't understand what people, if, if it's not hurting you or anybody else, why do you get a shit? Yeah. I mean, because on some level they're experiencing pain when they see it. It doesn't mean that's the same as like actually hurting someone, but because it, it's not about the people expressing themselves. It's about people who are repressed, seeing that and getting upset. But it's so. the funny thing is, I mean, I know this is the example. It's like the one example we have in metal. So we're always pointing to it, but like watching like Rob Halford do turbo lover live back in the eighties and he's like writhing around on the stage and singing this stuff. And it's, Dude, it's the exact yeah, same thing. Yeah. And I love it, you know? Like, yeah, watch the video for uh, Hot Rocket. Yeah. Or, uh, there's, or well, there's a bunch of them where it's like, it's so gay, dude. Like, yeah. like listen to Jawbreaker. Jawbreaker's about second dick. Like, yeah. st- straight up. Like, that's just what it's, it's a, that's a man singing about second dick. Like, it, it just is what it is. So, um, yeah, and, and knowing that and enjoying the song anyway doesn't say anything about the person listening to it. Just no. like you know, you're not I'm, gonna you're not gonna catch gay from the lyrics, right? Any more than you're gonna catch like barbarian from Manowar, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're not gonna all of a sudden become. You're not gonna listen to Manowar and become a great warrior. It's right. just not gonna happen. So, no, I mean, I'm not going to listen to Manowar and like massacre a village any more than I'm going to listen to Jawbreaker and suck some dick, but I'm going to enjoy listening to both of those things. You know? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's, I guess, yeah, I guess there's just a lot of uptight motherfuckers out there still, but, and you know, the other, the other classic one that I love, cause you know, you know, you, you follow you, we're friends on Facebook, of course. And you know, I've had some rants about that lop song and people are like, Oh, but it's a shitty song, dude. And I'm like, so what? There's a lot of shitty songs. Why are you drawing attention to this one? Yeah. There's a reason. You know, that's going to be the same with this one. Like, everyone's going to be mad about it. Oh, well, well, the song sucks, man. And it's like, so? Don't listen to it. Yeah. You know, why are, why are you getting on? The reason you're saying that is because it's impossible for you to admit that you're offended by it. And yep. The thing you're and, and you're offended by it because you're uptight, insecure, motherfucker. Yeah, just that's just the truth. Well, but, to me, like metal is is a lot of what metal is about is expressing some true part of your essence in a way that uh, is unapologetic and you can be proud of. Yeah. and that's that's what that whether you like the musical style or not, that's what the uh, the little Nas X song in question is, is about like the title is talking about his actual name and calling him by his real name. And it's very much like a personal empowerment thing. So whether or not you like the music, the ethos is really the same thing that we bring to heavy metal. I think that's how I see it. Sure. Sure. And like there's, yeah, like there's like metal, there's metal songs that like fucking horrible lyrics in them, you know? Yeah. And I don't know, like we, we we're, we're okay with that. But we can't. But we can't be okay with like this dude. I don't know, man. I. But again, like, 
you know, metal's not shocking, I guess, anymore, <laughs> which I don't know if it ever was for me. I, maybe I'm, I'm probably a bad measuring stick because it actually takes a lot to make me take a second look. I'm like, yeah. whatever. You know, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty easygoing dude, and there's not a lot of stuff that really, like, you know, off- offends my sensibilities, so to speak. You know, even if it's, you know, if it's about, no matter what, what it's about, almost, as long as it's not about some horrible thing, you know, like harmful thing. Yeah. That, that That's advocating people being harmed in some way or advocating some kind of outright hate that I don't agree with. Um, I'm generally okay with it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think metal is all about like something metal is about is going to some extreme places and exploring sure. some extreme emotions and some extreme images and and having a a space to process that kind of thing and some people are going to get naturally freaked out by it um so i mean maybe maybe at this point like i don't know i just don't think that that the shockingness of metal needs to be something that we're holding on to no in our identity as metalheads because i don't think that it's that's where where the fuck are we gonna go you have fucked with a knife by cannibal course yeah. Where do you want to go from there? Dude, like, can you, I don't, I'm a little afraid of where we would go from there if we were going to try to like keep the shock value going because it's going to get into some dangerous places. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, that kind of gets into something about our culture too that we see like in movies, you know, like it, you can see all kinds of violence in movies and TV, but you know, you can't, I don't know, you, you see like graphic sex and then it's like, oh no, we can't show that. Yeah. So it, it's there's there's that kind of double standard between what kinds of material are actually considered shocking and um, and metal's definitely done the violence thing to some some extremes that and I guess we've, we've, we've yeah we've done the sex thing from a heterosexual male point of view yeah um, but I mean yeah and, and I guess in Rob Halford's case we've done it from the homosexual man's point of view. But only one, you know, and only, only one. one particular kind of point. Yeah. Of so. so, I mean, I guess that would be, I mean, if you guess if you're going to sing about like, you know, anything LGBT, whatever, you're going to fucking piss some people off. But I don't know that it's going to piss off people, necessarily fans of the genre, I guess, or it's gonna, I don't think it'll shock anyone. It just make people mad. I yeah. Well, I, I, I would like to see some like really, I'd like to see some really like hardcore gay shit come out in the metal be, metal be world. It'd just, be interesting. It'd be you know it'd be interesting in its own right. I mean, as long as the music's good, of course. But uh, but it would also just be interesting to watch people who think they're fine with everything tie themselves in knots to explain why they don't like it. Oh yeah, without really it, it saying would be, why. It would be it would be wonderful. Like I mean, yeah. I'm I'm all, I'm down for that. Like so, if that would if that were to happen, I mean, it would be interesting. I guess the the the, the challenge there is to like. Because there probably is bands like that, but they kind of, I know I shouldn't say probably, I know there are, right? but they kind of get subgenre and like compartmentalized yeah. in a certain way, which winds that makes them automatically a little bit out of the mainstream. Yeah. So maybe that says something too about our, our, our genre and our sensibilities and how easily as a collective we're offended if these bands aren't really considered contenders for, yeah. for like the big stages so to speak mainly because of their content um yeah so 
but it would be interesting to see, like, you know, like, uh, it would be funny to, if, like, a, a, a bigger band took on that kind of subject matter and to see how people reacted to it. Yeah. You know, it, it would, that would be very interesting. And I think what you're, what you're saying is, is right, is people would have to, like, even if the song was, like, amazing and fucking thunderous and crazy good, there would be a lot of people scrambling to figure out how to explain to people why they didn't like. Right. You know, that's just, and, and I'm not, and that's the sad fucking reality is that's the sad fucking reality. Um, I personally would be down, you know, like sign me up. Like I'm, I'm all, I'm all aboard that, you know, people, if, if someone's singing about, you know, sex from whatever point of view that they have, cool. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a prude. I definitely don't. Um, I'm not, you know, offended my sensibilities aren't offended by people's sexual preferences like some people are um and i'm not afraid to openly discuss it or have it presented in front of my face because it's just a fucking natural part of life dude um so but it would be interesting to see how the majority of the heavy metal scene reacted to something like that yeah hey maybe something like that will come along and we'll end up talking about it you never know I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't see foresee an end of this podcast. So, knock on wood. But um, you know, it's a. Uh, it would, it would definitely be interesting. So, yeah, maybe we will get that chance. I hope so. Um, it would be. I mean, that being said, like it would be nice to see band, some bands who explore different lyrical content within the within the confines of like classic metal. Um, yeah. Even if it's like, like you like like we talked on uh, touched on earlier, where it's like. Uh, you're using certain things as a literary device, but it means something else. You know, it has a deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it would be cool to see some bands branch out subject matter wise and maybe take on some stuff that's a little edgier. Yeah. And it'd be having, they'd have to take a little bit of crap from the metal scene if they did it, but it, it certainly could be worth it to kind of expand the sense of what works in metal and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, and I don't know exactly what that would look like. Um, but it would be interesting to hear hear something like this Warrior Path album, which is unquestionably very traditional in style, but has a very non-traditional lyrical approach. Could be, be really interesting. interesting. It would. It would. Yeah. And I mean, I'm probably not the guy to do it because I don't have that. I'm. I'm that's just not me. <laughs> I'm not the right guy to do it. But I yeah, mean, in, in some ways, I mean, nor am I. I mean, I I try to bring something that's a little bit unique. But I guess the thing is like we're already drawn to the metal scene because we like the things that metal already does. Yeah. And then people who have like really different visions are oftentimes drawn to other kinds of music where they feel. Or they're, like, or they're in, 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 in a subgenre of metal that's way different. Yeah. You know, like death metal or grindcore or like some kind of jazz fusion thing or, or, or whatever. I think that bands in those kind of type of genres probably, some of them might touch on, um, some, they, they probably touch on a lot of different stuff, but in the traditional metal scene, definitely not. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, that is one thing I do like about death metal is, is you get these bands that have these uh, really specific and unique kind of themes that they embrace. Like like that band um, Slugge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like, does all the songs about slugs and snails and stuff. Yeah, it's a, yeah, they, there's, a lot, there's some cool creativity there. I mean, I guess, you know, one of the things that we said at the beginning of this podcast, I mean, this, the music we're reviewing is not the most original or overly creative stuff that exists in the world um but it's awesome 
<laughs> you know, so it's, uh, I guess there'd be, you could probably find a little bit of what we're talking about if you explored other genres, but it would be very interesting to see a very traditional sounding band, you know, branch out and take on some, you know, a little more touchy subject matter. It'd be fun. Yeah, it's interesting in traditional metal because the, um, I feel like in, in death metal and black metal, it's easier to just like, you know, screech or growl about whatever. And then the lyrics might not even be super clear to everyone. But in traditional metal, we are bound a little bit more by people being able to understand the words uh, when, they're, when you're using clean vocals exclusively. And also even like what kinds of vowels and what kinds of words sound good, you know, in the voice at a specific range and timbre that works for heavy metal. Um, mm. That doesn't mean that certain subjects aren't automatically don't work because of that. But I think it's riskier to go up and really sing about something than, you know, you can be like, well, you know, this song's about, um, you know, how the postal service works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. This next song is about uh, whatever. And then you just, and no one can understand what you're saying. So, yeah, I guess it would be a much bigger risk for a traditional metal band to do that kind of thing. Right. But I'd be interested to hear it. I tune yep. in. And I'd be very interested to see what the public's reaction to it would be. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, you know, I certainly hope that metal and traditional metal specifically stays vital and active enough that there are controversial things that come up. You mm -hmm. know, even if they're just controversial within the scene, even if we don't have Republican senators tweeting about how disturbing we are, you know, <laughs> you yeah. can just like get, get some healthy debate going is, is never a bad thing. Um, mm -hmm. Although I think that there is something about metal that is, I don't know, there, there's a kind of, um, what am I trying to say? There's a kind of like, um, not particularly moral gaze to it like there's a kind of um and this isn't true for every band but there's a lot of just like metal bands that just kind of describe just kind of what happens like yeah you know like war death tragedy is all kind of just a part of human life and and i think there's a lot of bands out there that in one way or another kind of look at that in an almost documentary way just like yes we're just going to describe the shit that happens and we're not going to try to interpret or spin it too much um and that is something i really like about metal and that's not something i'd want it to lose yeah i mean it's it's kind of like rather than making a commentary on a subject it's more bringing awareness yeah I, I feel you there it was definitely a prevalent thing in the 90s um i think the 90s in some ways musically were a much more political time for music than they are now um mm -hmm. i think politics is all on the internet <laughs> and in social media now. So I think maybe one of the things is people just get their fill of it there. And they just, I don't know. I think a lot of times, at least for me, I use music as an escape to try to like tune that out sometimes. You know, I'd rather go listen to a song about wizards and tales and shit than, you know, hear about how we're all fucked again. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I read about that every fucking day. So yeah. Uh, me too. Although it's, it, it's an interesting point that when you think about like the 1960s and the, the kind of social upheavals that were happening in the late 60s, and it really seems as though the music was a huge part of that 
social upheaval. Whereas now and we're seeing all this social upheaval and protests and um, all these strong political positions that everybody's taking, but it doesn't really seem to be particularly associated with music that I've noticed. It's not. I mean, I, I don't think it is either. So that's interesting just how things have evolved, I guess. But yeah, I can't, I, that's something I probably, I don't know if I'm smart enough to explain that phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, there's a doctoral thesis in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. And that's, we're, we're, we're not, we're not, we're not getting any degrees on this, this podcast. Yeah. So well, yeah, we'll just stick with our music about, you know, evil ghosts and, and, and tea. And tea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, evil ghosts and tea. I think that's a good, uh, good theme to wrap up this week's episode. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, interesting discussions. Um, we've got to review a great album. So hell yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're going to sign off for another week, uh, but thank you everybody for tuning in once again. Um, we do have some guests lined up. It just hasn't, I've been hella busy. Grab's been hella busy outside mm -hmm. of our lives. Our, our band Greyhawk is kind of gearing up again too. So we're starting to actually move towards our next album. Um, so we've been a little bit busy, so I, I, we haven't had as much time to like coordinate uh, with some guests, but we're going to try to get that done in the next couple episodes. But Either way, we, we will see you next week for another episode of Keepers of the Flame. And thank you again for tuning in, and we will see you next, next time. All right. Stay steel. Stay steel.